some point in life, we all have to ask ourselves, what are we for? How will we make a difference in our time and place? Because we have been called, called to rise up and attempt great things for the kingdom, a kingdom that is bigger than a city. It's bigger than a state or even a country. It's a kingdom that covers the globe. And unlike realms of the past, whose rulers have faded with history, our king is alive. And he has called us to spread the good news of hope and love, to build up a community that impacts the world for good, to make our mark for his kingdom. Oh, good morning, good morning, church, and welcome back to our series. We're in this great series called For the Kingdom, and I love this series because we're in the middle, as a church, of 50 days of prayer. We're praying together for what God's going to do in our lives individually, what God wants to do in and through His church, and I'm so excited about this series. So we started the series with this question, what are you for? What are you for? And I hope that's kind of been wrestling around in your mind, kind of marinating there in your heart and saying, what am I for? Now, you can tell what people are for by just looking at Facebook, right, and see what those on their page. You can look at Instagram. You can kind of go through and see what they're for. You can look at the back of their cars and see their stickers. And we're all for different things, right? We're for different football teams, right? Or we're for, you know, our kids' school or different schools. Or we're for, right, we're for Disney. Or we're for this certain band. We all have four different things. But as a church, as believers, as followers of God, we want to be for the kingdom, we want to be for the things that God is for. And I love that, that this is our day and our time that we get to live for the glory of God and make a difference. And so that's what we're doing in these 50 days. We're saying, hey, we want to focus in. We want to be all in, right? Last week we talked about that it really comes down to the heart, that God's calling us to be personally invested. God's not calling us to say, hey, go sit up in the stands and get some popcorn and a snow cone and you can watch the game being lived out down there, God's saying, no, 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 get out of the stands, get in the game. You know, live it out, man, live out your faith. Be people who put it into practice and love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And man, that's when the spiritual life comes alive. That's when it comes alive. And today we're talking about this, that it takes a team. It takes a team. Now, I want you to think about in your mind, what is the greatest team that you've ever been a part of? What's the greatest team that you've ever been a part of? Maybe you think back and there was a middle school team, you know, or maybe it was like football, or maybe it was volleyball, or maybe it was softball or something, or maybe it was high school or college, or maybe it was a pro team, and you just, man, the team just overachieved, right? And you were thinking, wow, we're not going to even get to out of district, and man, you just kept winning, and it was just fun. And maybe for you, it was a team that you launched a new company, and everybody rallied around it, or you launched a new division, and you just saw everybody coming together. And, and maybe for you, it was a team that it was like Model UN, or it was a debate team or something, and you just kept winning, and it was like so awesome. It was fun. Maybe for you, it was a mission team. And you were scared to death to go on this mission trip, and you signed up. You're like, what am I thinking? You know, are you sure, God? Here we go. And you went on this mission trip, and everybody was awesome, and they all got along, and you saw God do great things, and you just went, Wow. This is exciting. This is awesome. What makes a great team? What makes a great team? Well, you've got a great leader, right? You've got a great coach. You've got a great boss. Maybe you 
have a boss in your life that you kind of look back to who mentored you or you had a coach who just got the best out of you and the best out of the team. And maybe, maybe what makes a great team is you have this great goal and man, everybody's working toward that. There's this compelling goal that you go forward. And maybe it's the people that you're with and man, everybody just gets along. Everybody's pulling their weight. You know, there's no dead weight on the team. Everybody's in it. Well, here's the thing about the spiritual life. It takes a team. It takes a team. It's the same thing It's true in any kind of life, right? I mean, any kind of life to have success, it's going to take a team. You know, in sports, right, the quarterback gets all the publicity, but what wins championships? Defense. Defense wins championships, right? And so you know that, right? And the quarterback's going to get the big contracts and all the publicity, but man, if you don't have a good defense, you're not going to win. You know, I mean, it's the same thing is true so many times in our lives. Right? I mean, you see this throughout. I mean, we could put a man on the moon and Neil Armstrong gets all the publicity and all the great movies and everything else, but boy, it was a team of people. It was all those mathematicians back there running all the equations, making sure that he didn't, you know, blow up. And he came back, you know, because it takes a team. And spiritually, Jesus called 12. He could have done one-on-one. He could have just said, you know what, I really, I don't need anybody, actually. I got this, you know. But he said, no, I'm going to take 12 men, and I'm going to pour into you for three years. I'm going to pour into this team, and I'm going to watch as the Holy Spirit comes, and these guys, man, they're going to set the world on fire. And that day, you know what that team is? It's a church. Some people say, well, you know what, I could be a Christian without going to church. And I'm like, I don't know. Because I look scripturally, and man, and Jesus is coming back for his church. Jesus loves his church. The church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And Jesus says, I want you to be a part of a team. And our leader is Jesus, and we love one another, but we have a compelling vision to reach out, to grow up, to give all for the glory of our great God. And boy, that's when it gets exciting. Because when we lock arms, we just say, okay, we're living it out. And we're all going to pull our way. We're all going to live it all for the glory of of his name, his great, great name. Now, in our series, we're studying one of the most exciting times for the children of God back in the Old Testament. It was a time when, man, things were great. I mean, they were going really well. They had come out of Egypt, out of this land of slavery. God had sustained them in a desert, right? Their forefathers, God took care of them, provided food. He provided water from a rock. He said, hey, this is, you're going to be my people, and I've got great plans for you, and, and I'm going to bring you back into the promised land, and by faith, they go into the promised land, and God drives out all the people who were in the land. God gives them houses they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant, and they're in the promised land, and it is awesome. It's better than they thought, you know, and David becomes their king, and for 40 years, he reigns. He moves the capital to Jerusalem, and there in Jerusalem, one night, he's walking around in his palace. And he's looking at all the people, and they've got these nice houses. And then he looks down, and he sees that God is still dwelling in a tent. Because when they were in the desert, God said, make this tent, put it in the center of camp, and everybody will know that I am your God. You come worship me there. And David goes, why am I living in a palace and God's in a tent? we got to do something here. And he brings all the people together, and he says, guys, come on, come on, come on. Let's do something great for God. Let's build a place in the center of Jerusalem that will say to everybody and every generation that comes after us, this is what we were for. We were for God. We were for him. And they did something great in their day, and I pray that we will do something great in our day for his name. If you have a Bible with you this morning, open back with me to 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 
First Chronicles, Old Testament, First Second Samuel, First Second Kings, First Second Chronicles, that first and second section right back there if you're looking for it. And if you don't have a Bible, we got some Bibles in the back. Also, we'll put the scripture on the screen, or if you have a mobile device, you can follow along with what God's Word has to say. But David has this incredible vision to say, hey, let's build the temple in the center of Jerusalem. And then God comes to him and says, David, you're not the one to build it. You've shed too much blood. You've won too many wars, you know, but, but there's too much blood. Solomon, your son's going to build it because he's a man of peace. And my house will be a house of peace, a refuge when we walk in, man. We can just ah, deep breath and be in the presence of God. And so David says, okay, that's great, but I want to contribute. I want to be a part. So David gives the plans for how to build it to Solomon. He says, here you go, Solomon. And if you're taking notes, if you have your journey guide and you want to write some things down, page 28, you can start to write some things down that you can see here. But he gives the plans to Solomon. Here you go. You write this down because I've been praying about this. This is what I want to contribute. Then David comes along and he grabs all the people and he says, guys, come together. I want you to know what I'm doing. I'm personally investing in this. I'm giving to this. I'm in it to win it, right? Here's what I'm doing. He talks about his gold and his silver. And he says, hey, it's not just out of a surplus. I'm investing myself. I'm in this. And he invested his personal money over and above his tithe, over and above the ongoing work. He says, I'm giving to this. And then he says, Solomon, hey, I want to I give the land where we're going to build the temple. Because Mount Moriah is in the center of Jerusalem, and it's the place where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. And God said, no, 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 no. There's a ram caught in the thicket. I will provide for you, Abraham. Our forefathers, this happened right here on Mount Moriah. We're going to build it right here. And David goes to Aruna the Jebusite who owned that property. And he says, hey, we want to build this temple here. And Aruna says, you're the king. I'll give it to you. And David says, no, no, no. I will not sacrifice to the Lord offerings, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Hey, I'm not going to build something there that cost me nothing. No, no, no. And so he pays for it. And he says, Solomon, build the temple here. I'm getting you ready. I'm getting you prepared. And then David gave a challenge to the people. David gave a challenge to the people. And in verse 5, we left off last week with David saying to the people, now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? And I love that. David just goes, who's willing to pray? Who's willing to pour your heart out and just say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be involved? God, how can I live my life for you? And here's the thing about David. You're going to see this next week as we'll unpack. David is getting ready to die. And then this is his kind of last to die. He could have... He could have said, you know what, it's been a great run. I, I'm going to just kind of go into retirement. I'm going to get me a house on the Sea of Galilee. I got a little lake house up there. I'm going to get me a beach house down, you know, over here on the Dead Sea. And, and good luck, you guys. But David goes, no, with my last breath, I want to do something for God. And that's why David was known as a man after God's heart. And next week, you'll see it in the prayer that he prays. And it's so powerful. But what I want you to see today is this. I want you to see that leaders set the pace. And when David issues this challenge, now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? The leaders responded. Verse 6. Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work of the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold. 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them 
to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehul, the Gershonite. And the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. And can you picture this scene? All these people gathered, I mean, a million plus people, and they're, they're just on this journey with God, and David issues this challenge. Now, who will consecrate themselves to the Lord? And the leaders step up and say, we're in. We're in. You know, the fact is this, that you all, all of us, we're leaders in some way. You're leaders in a home. You're a leader there. Maybe you're a grandparent, man. You're a leader of a family, generations. You're a leader at work. You're a leader at school. You're a leader in our community. You're a leader. And the leaders set the pace. And David knew it, man. Leaders are going to set the pace. And this was the tipping point for how people were going to respond and what people were going to do. And this really came down to, hey, David could have a, a dream, but for it to become a reality, people said, hey, we want to be invested. And I want you to see some things about it. Notice, number one, they gave willingly. They gave willingly. The leaders of families, as many of you, <laughs> the officers of tribes and the commanders of thousands and these officials in the king's work gave willingly. You know, there's something about when you pour your heart into it. There's something about when you just give. Over in the New Testament, uh, they were taking an offering for the church in Jerusalem. It was going through a struggle. There was lots of persecution, and all these other churches came together, and, and they were taking up this offering. And, and Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this in verse 7 of chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You've probably heard that before. God loves a cheerful giver. That, that's where it comes from, right here. And then he says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He says, think about God's the one who gives you everything. Everything you have, you know, it comes from him. And God is able to do more in your life than you could imagine. They gave willingly. Notice they gave generously. They gave generously. They gave to the work of the temple of God, verse 7, 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Now, talent's not that big, but 100,000, that's a lot, okay? I mean, you imagine the guy counting it, okay, one, two, you know, it's like, that's a lot, but these people just gave generously. Do you know some generous people in your life? Maybe you've got a grandparent, and they're just generous, man. They're just always, like, giving you, you know, you just know it. Maybe you've got a friend who, man, they would give you the shirt off their back. They're just generous. Maybe, maybe you've got somebody in your life, and, man, there's something about generous people, right? I think as we fall more in love with God, generosity is something that results in our life. It just comes out. It tells us in Proverbs, you know, a generous person will prosper. And there's something about generous people. There, there, there's a joy about them. They want to help. They want to see a need. They just... Like, want to help, and that's what, that's what these people did. They gave, third, is this sacrificially. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehul. Now, notice this. Anyone who had precious stones, not everybody had precious stones. You know, it wasn't equal gifts, it was equal sacrifice. If they had it, they were going to give it. If they were going to be a part of it, they were going to do it. And you, I think that's the important thing is, what do we do? How do we sacrifice? And then, notice this, they gave wholeheartedly. 
The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. I love that word, wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. See, what a lot of people do with their Christian life is they kind of put God in a box, right? They compartmentalize their Christian life. They go, I got my family, I've got my friends, I've got my job, I've got my social calendar, I got my sporting events, and, and I got God over here, okay? And God, I'll meet with you, you know, on Sunday mornings, you know, between, you know, 9.30 and, you know, 10.40, that's, but, but God, you know, here, over here, I've got this going on, and God's going, no, 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 I want you wholeheartedly, <laughs> I want to be in your family. I want to be in with your friends. I want to be in your job. And that's when the Christian life comes alive. When we're wholehearted, we're just like, okay, God, it's all yours. I just want to live my life for your name and for your glory. And notice when the leaders step up, and this happens every time. I want to tell you, if it will happen in your family. It will happen in your company. It will happen. When leaders step up, the people rejoiced. See, here's the thing. Leaders lead. You could tweet that, okay, later on, right? But, but it's true. Leaders lead, and sometimes in our culture, leaders get passive, and they sit back, and they get comfortable. And no, 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 no. Don't ever do that. You are in a leadership role for a reason and a purpose. You are a dad or a mom for a purpose. God's called you to lead your family. You're a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle. You or in a leadership position at your job, or at your kid's school. You're in a leadership position in our community. You're in a leadership position at our church for a reason and for a purpose, and leaders lead. And when leaders lead, the people rejoice. Like, praise God, yes. They are wholehearted. They're invested. Man, I love that. I want to follow that. You know, here at Rolling Hills, we're, we're blessed. We've, we've got some great leaders I mean, lay leaders who volunteer their time and volunteer their energy. And, and we've got, you know, a board and a finance team. We've got a land and facilities team. We've got A6 spiritual leaders. We've got leaders of community groups. We've got leaders in preschool and children and students who give their time and their resources because they believe wholeheartedly in making a difference for the glory of God. This morning, I want you to hear from some of our leaders. And so I'm going to invite Ben Majette. Ben, who's the chairman of our, our board, Kristen Dennis, who's also a member of our board and kind of represents family ministry on that board, Larry Adama, and Larry is on our land and facilities team. He's been on it since we started as a church, and Kyle Hunter, Kyle is the uh, chairman of our finance team, and I'm going to invite them to come, and as we talk about kind of this whole initiative that God's called us to, uh, you guys are helping setting the pace, and Ben as chairman, you know, you, we've been talking about this for a while. So tell us about why. Why these initiatives? Why is this important to us as a church as we talk about For the Kingdom? Yeah, Jeff. Uh, you know, as the board, we've been praying and planning for this for about 18 months. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's finally here, and it's exciting. But, you know, it really fits into about three, three buckets. One is we're just reacting to the growth that mm -hmm. God's given us here in Franklin. We're trying to find new homes for uh, other parts of our church, and we're tithing. And mm -hmm. so adjusting to the growth, you know, we've got, uh, one, we're investing in the next generation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when we first moved in here, we took care of the auditorium here, uh, and then that was really it. And then the next phase is we really just focused on kids. God brought us a lot of kids, <laughs> and we had to find a place for them. And uh, now those kids are growing up. <laughs> And so now we need a space for uh, our junior high and high school. Mm -hmm. It's really that simple. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then it's, God's also brought us adults mm -hmm. here. And uh, we have a Sunday school that's bursting at the seams. Mm -hmm. uh, we, have, we need um, more seating here in the mm -hmm. auditorium. So it's really just adjusting to that growth. As far as finding new homes for the rest of our church, uh, we have two campuses, Nolansville and Belmont, both really facing the same issues. They've mm -hmm. got um, leases that are gonna come due and we need to find a new home. We don't have any place to meet for youth groups for programming during the week. So uh, we really need to get that part solved for them. And then the last one is tithing that I said, and we are gonna tithe 10% uh, to JMI mm -hmm. to uh, provide two new um, houses for the uh, um, Moldova the, for transitional the, home. For the transitional home, yeah. thank you, Jeff. Yeah. For the transitional home in uh, Moldova, and I had the privilege of being there uh, this past summer, and you know it was awesome being there and serving these orphans. But working alongside these transitional living kids, I mean, we are all investing as as Rolling Hills, as GMI, mm. investing in these kids. But and they are giving back and making a huge impact on mm. the youth in uh, Moldova. So. You know, that's more than an investment. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is really a fourth of kingdom thing there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just the right thing to do. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Kristen, you're a mom. You're on the board. You, you help us, like, direction-wise, especially in preschool children, students. Tell us about why this is important for us. Well, I love the family ministry here at Rolling Hills. In fact, when we moved here seven years ago and we're looking for a church home, mm -hmm. that's what drew us here. Mm -hmm. Um, you can look around on Sunday mornings and see how much the church has grown. We're having new families come every day, mm -hmm. every week, and with them are coming kids. Mm -hmm. So you can look at the backyard, look at Main Street, and look back in the loft and see, uh, like Ben said, we are bursting at the seams mm -hmm. um, with kids back there ready to learn about Jesus. Jen mentioned this morning that you know kids are back there shoulder to shoulder just worshiping, and we need more space for them. So while you can look around and see the growth, sometimes it's easier to look at the numbers and really that makes a big impact. So I had the family ministry team put together some statistics and mm -hmm. there are a few I'd just like to highlight today. So this first one shows our growth over the past five years and this shows um, birth through high school. So you can see in 2013, we mm -hmm. were serving about 375 kids on a Sunday and right now we're averaging about 610. So about a 62% growth over the past five years, which is a lot. Um, the second statistic uh, is about our fourth and fifth graders back in Main Street. So they worship in um, a space together just to kind of separate them from the younger kids, give them a more tailor-made worship experience. And in the 9.30 hour, we've got 60 to 70 back there in that space worshiping. And I have a fifth grade boy. Love him, but they are a squirrely bunch, y'all. They, they have a lot of energy and a lot of love for Jesus, and they need a bigger space back there. Um, this last one is one that really just kind of blew me away. So in 2011, we had 30 students in grades 6 through 12, so middle school through high school. And just two weeks ago, we had 123 students in middle school alone. So it's not even including the high schoolers. So we just have so many kids. The growth is evident. You can see it with your eyes. You can see it in the numbers. We need more space. We're growing. It's a great thing. It's wonderful. But we need a new space. And when I think about um, the plans for building this new student space, and I encourage you to go to the gallery conference room after the service. We've got a big 
um, the plans are blown up in there so you can really take a look at them. Um, it just makes me so excited for what we're going to do for our students. You know, middle schoolers and high schoolers, they are at some of the most impressionable years of their lives. These kids are figuring out who they're going to become. They've got choices, they've got distractions, um, and they're just really being molded into who they're going to be as adults. And we want Christ to be at the center of that. Mm. So we need a space for them to come to hear the great news of the gospel, to strengthen and develop their faith and their walk with Christ, and to bring their friends, to be able to invite their neighbors and their classmates, because they are. They're bringing people with them every week, which is awesome. They are some of the greatest disciples for God's kingdom. And we need a space for them to be able to grow and mature into those disciples and bring people to Jesus, which is what it's all about. It's fantastic. I mean, praise God. You know, you look at that. Way to go. I mean, Larry, you have... uh... You've been here from the beginning of the church, 15 years, and uh, you were on the land facilities team when we bought this building, and, and it was a clear span. There was nothing in here. It was 146,000 square feet of just emptiness, and you and your team built it all out. Tell us kind of that master plan and where we are as we look at some of these things going forward. Well, let me briefly walk you back about 10 years and then walk you forward, hopefully, another 10 years. Uh, when we acquired this property, uh, the, the building and the 13 acres that it sits on. It was, it was an amazing journey, one filled with miracles. Let me give you two examples. One, we signed a contract for this building at $6.9 million, and the church had $6,000 in the bank. <laughs> we thought, what do we got to lose? <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll try to put the deal together. Uh, the second miracle came when this congregation a little bit smaller than it is today, on one Sunday morning gave $1 million as a down payment for the purchase of this building. Uh, it was that impetus that allowed us to move forward uh, and, and finance the project. And ultimately, what started to emerge when we signed that contract, it came with three major tenants. Those tenants, we were real quick to build out because we knew that their rental income would pay our mortgage for being here. From that, we started to focus on on this space. And as Ben said, originally we did this room, 10 classrooms, and some office space, which totaled about 38,000 square feet. Uh, Since that, we created a master plan. That master plan guided the four subsequent, or excuse me, three subsequent phases, the baptistry, main street, and preschool. Uh, And each time we went into those with not enough money, and, but we knew how to get there. We had laid the groundwork in utilities, and we knew how to expand. As God provided the students and the children and the adults, and then the money, we just took that plan and moved it forward. Recently, our largest tenant, Naxus of America, which is here to the west, came to us and said, we would like to reduce the amount of warehouse space that we purchase. We want to keep our offices here, but we want to reduce our warehouse space in 2019. That was a light bulb moment. I I would argue God's provision because we knew we had to grow, but they were under lease, and that was the next likely step, so it opened up space. So the land and facilities team went back to work, and we have rethought through how the Franklin campus can grow. And you can see those plans in your guide and elsewhere, and you'll see more in the weeks to come. As part of that process, we have now also started to look to the 28 acres that we own to the north. If you don't know, Rolling Hills owns 40 acres in the middle of Franklin. 
but we've never touched the 28 acres that we subsequently acquired. We're going to have to start to break into that for parking and other amenities. But we want to do it as thoughtfully as we have in the past as it relates to the building. So there, those new master plans are being formulated now. What has all this meant to us? That we, having a good solid master plan in the past and hopefully a good solid master plan in the future, we've been able to grow cost effectively, thoughtfully, and haven't had to duplicate a lot of things as we move forward. That's awesome. Well, it's been amazing. It's just been a God journey. I mean, seeing miracle after miracle happen. And, and Kyle, tell us about, you know, you're the head of the finance team. We've got a group of lay leaders that come in and look over all the financials. But from your perspective, just as we continue to give and go forward, what does that look like? Absolutely, Jeff. I'm so grateful to be part of a church that has its finances in order. I mean, we really are efficient and effective with the, the money that's given here and raised. Um, it's just, it's, it's a good feeling to be on the team now. I can't imagine being on the team uh, back when what, what Larry was talking about was $6,000 in the bank. Um, but that being said, I mean, we've seen our dreams realized every step of the way. You know, God's there. He meets us where we go. Um, and he's been leading us and setting that pace. Uh, to, to think that we'd have multiple homes in Moldova, to think that we've got multiple campuses now that all happen within several years, uh, a children's space that we built out, and we did it the right way that we now have it to use uh, for the Learning Center, which is a great outreach uh, for our community here. Um, if, you haven't, if you haven't had a chance to check that out, you know, that's amazing time during the week that a lot of little kids are coming in uh, and families that wouldn't be coming to Rolling Hills are coming. Um, God's just really been there every step of the way. And uh, as far as our financial state, I think, uh, you know, all that is, is able to be done because of, number one, God's blessing, and number two, generous gifts of this congregation. And that's what it's all about. Um, you know, we, we reach a point now uh, financially that, you know, our day-to-day -day expenses are met. We've, got, we've been able to set aside money in an emergency fund. We've been able to set some aside as we go for future growth and expansion. But we're at kind of the decision point right now where to, in order to continue to reach out, we have to, we have to step out and take that next step. So we're either, uh, we either reach our limitation or we reach out. And one of our core values is reaching out. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in that, you know, that's, that's our, to fulfill our calling, I think we have to continue to reach out. Uh, number two would be, uh, of our core values, is giving all. Mm -hmm. A generous person gives all that they can. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's important to remember that giving all is, and, and generosity is about, not about the size of the gift, but about the, the gift relative to what you have to give. And I think that's something to be, you know, keep in mind as we do this campaign, and that's what it's all about. Um, so, I, you know, I'd ask that you would just... Uh, you know, and that's, that's really my prayer, is that we would be a generous congregation and that we would, we would be there for the next step and get to witness God do something amazing uh, through this campaign. That's, that's awesome. Let me ask you guys just briefly, what is your prayer? We're in this 50 days of prayer. We're leading up to November 4th when we make a commitment together individually and as a church. Um, but what is your prayer personally? What's your prayer for us as a church during this time? Jeff, um, I'm just really excited to see what God's going to do here. We think back to when we were in the movie theater, mm -hmm. and we thought we went into that first campaign, and you know we had a lot of different thoughts and visions about what it would look like on the other side of that. But I don't think anybody thought about us being in a warehouse with <laughs> tenants offsetting the cost. But you know this is really awesome, and um, so I'm just really excited to see what God's going to do. But for for me, my family, and my my hope for our church to be praying about is really that we just stay engaged. It's so easy 
to get busy, to miss this next, I mean, we're less than 50 days now. Yeah, 35. Right? It's uh, 35 <laughs> and counting. And it's just so easy just to get, to, to not be engaged, but just that we're all in, that, you know, not just the financial side, God wants all of us, and that we don't miss out on what God has in store for us. That's great. Well, I'm really excited to see what God's going to do in this campaign. Uh, Larry's talked about, we know he's going to show up, and we know he's going to um, just show us some more miracles like he's, he's done over the past, you know, in the history of the church. What's really on my heart uh, is I look at the growth, I look at the numbers, I see back in all of our spaces how just awesome it is and how many more kids we have. Um, it's just really on my heart that we're not only giving generously with our money, but we're also giving with our time. And I just really am praying for just God to stir in the hearts of our church body and that he would just provide just volunteers for people to invest, not just in the church building, but in the lives and the hearts of the kids and the future generation here at this church. That's great. Three things for me. One, early on, we, we crafted a term as a church that the building is not the church, mm -hmm. or the church is not the building. A great principle, the church is the congregation, it's our ministry and mission. The building is a tool that we use. I want us to make sure we remember that. Mm -hmm. Number two, God has given us a great amount of creativity in how we put these spaces together. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the next step might be. And then I'd ask God to give us just enough resources to make that a reality. You know, I, I, pray for, I pray for responsiveness for my family and for generosity for my family and also for the church. Uh, I see this as an opportunity. It, you know, I guess I think about it in a way that, uh, and pray that God would use this to pull us all together because, you know, I've seen giving and thinking about giving and what we're going to give really pull our family together and have those conversations that we don't normally have. Um, I just think that's an opportunity to sit down with your spouse and really kind of get on the same page together about what you want to do and what generous looks like for your family. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a great opportunity for us uh, to be part of ne the next story in Rolling Hills. Uh, we hear Jeff talk all the time about all the different things that God's done and how uh, the miracles that have happened here. And, and I see this as that next one that I can be a part of. And I want to see how God uses ordinary, obedient people to fulfill his calling here and just be part of that story. That's awesome. Well, guys, thank you for leading, and you guys make such a difference and impact, and we just want you to know how much we appreciate you guys so much. Thank you so much. Love you, brother. You know, we really are blessed to have amazing people here, and uh, all these guys serve in their jobs and their business. I mean, Larry uh, built, he went from here, and he went downtown and built the Music City Center and then the Ascend Amphitheater and half of downtown. So, you know, like uh, the people that we have at our church and all of you guys, when we lock arms together and we just get to serve together, it's incredible. And, and I would just encourage us in that, that we are people who are praying and we are reaching out. Here, here's my dream. What if, what if one day you look back and we look back and we say, you know, the greatest team that I was ever a part of was the team at Rolling Hills Community Church in 2018. I just saw God do what only God could do. 
We were united under the lordship of Christ. He gave us this compelling vision to reach our community for Christ. And our family grew like never before. And God did something in our own hearts and lives that it just changed the trajectory of my family and of God's people. It was amazing. What if you and I could look back and say, this is the time. This was our opportunity. This was the team that we got to be a part of. And I think the people back in their day, it was the most exciting time. The people rejoiced. And I'm telling you, man, before this, there were challenges and there were battles to fight. After this, it was amazing what God was doing in their nation. But what could God do here? And what could God do now? And we've seen God do miracles. I want to tell you, you grew up in a church, probably many of you. And maybe you were baptized in that church, or maybe, you know, you came to know the Lord in that church, or... Maybe you were married in a church, and have you ever thought, who were the people who sacrificed? Who were the people who built this? It wasn't the government, right? That's for sure. You know, there was, who's those people who built those country churches? Who were the people who came up and gave at night and worked on those buildings? Who were the people who laid a foundation so that I could experience that? And when you and I lock arms together as God's people today, there are going to be people who come after us. And some of them are going to be our own kids, or our grandkids, or our great-grandkids. And others are going to be people we may have never met, and we won't see this side of heaven. But they're going to be people who say, wow, thank you. Thank you. Because you made a difference in me. Here's the thing. It's been an amazing 15 years as a church, but God's not finished with us. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back out. And here's the thing. God's not finished with you. God's not finished with you. And in this 50 days of prayer, my hope and my dream is that every one of us would take a next step in our spiritual life. Every one of us would say, hey, it's time to go deeper. It's time to go further in my spiritual life than ever before. And for some of you, you know what that means? That means, hey, it's time to be baptized, you know. There's a time of salvation and giving my life to Christ and then making it public. And you've put it off and then God's saying, no, this is the time. During this 50 days, this is the time. For others of you, maybe it's time to join the church and say, hey, I'm ready. I don't want to sit up in the stands and eat some popcorn and a snow cone. I'm ready to get down and get in the game. Maybe for you, man, it's time to say, hey, I want to start praying together as a family. I haven't done that. I want to get involved in a community group. I want to be involved. Maybe it's going on a mission trip, but something, God, during this time, what are you calling me to do? Not just everybody else, but God, what about me? And I pray during this time, we just say, God, speak to me. I want to hear from you, and I'll be willing to follow. Because God's not finished with any of us yet. God is still doing a great work. And I believe with all my heart that as a church, our best days are still ahead. And I believe with all my heart that in your life, there's still breath in your lungs for a reason, and your best days are still ahead. Let's go with the Lord. And let's follow him. Let's do it wholeheartedly. And watch God do what only God can do. Let's stand together and let's worship him right now.